Look, I know Penn State just won the Rose Bowl, but I don't think it feels the same since Utah quarterback Cam Rising was out for half of the game. You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm JT Wistersill of Locked On Utes. And I'm Zach Seiko with Locked On Nittany Lions, the winning side. <laughs> <laughs> the winning side, you are indeed after that one. What a disappointing performance for the Utes and an outstanding performance for the Penn State Nittany Lions. And welcome into another Locked On crossover, everyone. We want to thank all of you for making Locked On Utes and Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube. We'd love to interact with you guys on social media. You guys can follow me at JT Wistersill or at Zach underscore Seiko. And make sure you guys subscribe to our YouTube channels, Locked On Utes and Locked On Nittany Lions. And Zach, just starting out with just general thoughts on this game. Just a really disappointing performance from the Utes, especially defensively in this one. I think that's the big downside for them. Obviously a massive bummer with Cam Rising's injury. I said in yesterday's show, I do believe Penn State was still playing outstanding football even after Cam's injury. It's kind of hard to say how it would have panned out after that, but man, it just felt like that really sucked the wind out of this game is when Cam did go down. Yeah, that was the biggest thing I saw. I, I did a live radio show post game after it. Um, on the uh, on the local ESPN radio up in near Penn State, and uh, uh, the biggest thing that I talked about was you know Utah has it. Um, Cam Rising is kind of the you know the life force in this entire team because the second he went down and everybody knew like it was serious, he was kind of you know gingerly walking to the tunnel, like just kind of disgruntled with everything. Like, oh, man, this is a, a, it's one year ago at this point in time, uh, everything's happening all over again for them. So, um, I, I wanted to pose this to you. You know, how do you feel about Cam Rising playing the full game? Like, for me personally. And this might irk some Penn State fans in a way, but I, I think this game's obviously a lot closer if Cam Rising plays. Uh, so, and everyone pushed back immediately when I said, "Like, does the, does the Rose Bowl feel as good of a win since we know that five of those sacks come when the backup quarterback's in?" Like, Penn State couldn't bring down Cam Rising. Penn State had trouble getting to him, whether it was in the pocket and he'd find a way to deliver a throw, or he'd step out of the pocket, he'd elude the pressure. And then he'd get upfield. Like I said, Cam Rising is really annoying in this game because he's tough to stop. Um, and obviously had that emotional factor to it as well. So, but yeah, when the backup quarterback came in, uh, not the same, not the same type of presence. And that's when Penn State uh, exploded defensively. And then obviously it, it's, you know, symbiotic. You know, it, it goes if the offense is going to, or if the defense is going to play like that then the offense is going to have to reciprocate. Right. And that's when, so, you know, when your defense is uh, getting off the field and three and outs, you know, the offense is going to feel pretty good about itself. So uh, I don't know. I, I think if cam rising's in this game, I'm not saying that Penn state loses, um, but it, it's hard for me to say like, okay, this Rose bowl was everything it meant to be. I just wish it was a much closer game and a much better game all the way down to the wire, which I think we were robbed of when cam rising went out. Yeah, this game was more so, especially in the second half, was more a 35 to 14 score. Utah got that late score, but that to me was really the definition of yeah, the over. 
Do you have the yeah, over exactly. in that game? <laughs> <laughs> very fair, very fair. Um, I do think with Utah, I think when you talk about Cam and him going out, I think if Cam had stayed in the whole game, I personally believe Utah still would have lost this game, but I think it would have been a much mm-hmm. more exciting finish. I think the reason I say that was I felt like Utah's second half defensive performance, even though, yes, you could feel the offense really get the just the energy sucked out of them when that injury came down. The defense was still giving up a couple of those plays. They had already given up one 85-yard-plus touchdown to Penn State. And, yes, later on they gave up the second one there too. So I feel like those plays don't really change. I still feel like Penn State is still able to score and move the ball. The difference is I think Utah is just able to in a couple opportunities too. But Utah's not marching up and down the field. Yes, they were moving the ball when Cam got hurt on that scramble, but that wasn't the first drive that Utah had moved the ball. And then, let's say they would have stalled, then ended up stalling at midfield. Bryson Barnes, of course, came in during last year's Rose Bowl and had some just unbelievable heroic moments where he made some incredible plays when you talk about his touchdown to Dalton and just he had led that one drive that was special late that led Utah fans just feeling ecstatic about, hey, this is an elite backup quarterback. And look, in a lot of ways, he is during regular season games. But I think whenever you get in the bowl games against the best defense this Utah team has played in a long time where receivers were really struggling to create separation, um, even the long pass Devon Devon Vele caught, that was just the the DB was in good position to make a play on it before Devon just did a good job coming back on the ball. It was kind of just a throw it up there 50-50 ball. Devon just got him there, but it didn't feel like that was like a successful thing that Utah could really turn to all game long. Yes, I know Devon hauled in five balls for 100 yards, but still outstanding coverage by the Nittany Lions. So yeah, Bryson just wasn't able to get it done for Utah and as I said I really do feel like Utah would have been able to move the ball but it would have been a similar thing where some drives they would have stalled others they would have scored on and in the end because of Utah's struggles defensively and especially a couple of those breakdowns they had I don't think Utah would have been able to win this one because of their defensive performance it's I I think the offense just being lackluster at that point um you know, Utah is uh, both a physical team, kind of like Penn State, uh, but especially when the rain started to come down. Um, mm-hmm. Cam Rising, I think the the biggest headache, at least from Penn, side, Penn State side of it, and my perspective, other people might say differently. Uh, but I think just the way that Utah was able to continue drives and just that's that's all Cam Rising, whether he's able to elude the pocket, he's able to get by defenders, he's able to find that receiver, uh, trust a guy like Vele to go up and get it. Um, obviously Dalton Kincaid not being in the game was, it was yeah. a big deal because I, I think there was a little bit of a lapse in trust when it came to yep. uh, Thomas Yasmin dropped a couple of passes that yep. are big one pretty, ru- pretty routine, pretty routine catches. Right. Um, so, and cam rising just, I think I, when you talking to more people in this industry and just kind of getting different perspectives and everything, and this is something I'd really uh, agree with more that I think about it. Um, one, one colleague of mine put it in perspective, you know, as a quarterback, and, and this is something that Sean Clifford himself can lack from time to time. And I know we'll talk about him specifically because he didn't, he didn't in this game, but you have to, you can't be a bull in a China shop as a quarterback. You have to be a cold blooded assassin. And as tough as Cam Rising is, and he has that bullish type of personality to him, he is that kind of assassin player where he's very precise. He's very meticulous. You don't know what he's going to do, and he's able to improvise. And that gave Penn State fits. And Penn State didn't like that they would get him in third and long. And it would set up perfectly for Manny Diaz's defense, right? Um, where they can say, all right, we're going to pin our ears back. We're going to show a blitz. We're going to do something fancy and try to disguise our coverages or dis- disguise our bits- blitz packages. And Cam Rising on third and 10 pretty consistently or whatever, third and seven, third and eight, whatever mm-hmm. have you, 
but it was always that third and uh, not so manageable. And Cam Rising would somehow find a way to extend a drive where Penn State, for the past six games, had no issue getting teams off of the field in that case. Ever mm-hmm. since, that second half of the season, be, probably because of the caliber of opponents, but it, it had to do with the fact that Cam Rising was just that good at being a magician uh, in, that, in that game in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, Cam's been able to make those incredible plays where he does because he's not the quickest guy. He's not like a Caleb Williams. There's two different ways to kind of buy time yeah. or escape the pocket, right? There's Caleb Williams where you just outrun everyone and avoid it. And then there's guys like Cam who are just so big and hard to bring down that they're able to stand up, be tough, and hang around. And you're right when you kind of touched on earlier just being a bull in the China shop. It's something that's hurt Utah now. Um, and I believe the one he got hurt on in last year's Rose Bowl, I know everyone will comment, so correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe that one was just a sack that he ended up just getting hurt on. But this is something we've seen with Cam. I believe the play that he he got nicked up against USC the first time around and I believe it's never confirmed exactly where it happened I believe it was on the two-point conversion when he took a hard hit to his thigh after he got into the end zone that's just what it is with Cam is he takes a lot of these contact and there's a reason we talk about guy quarterbacks trying to slide stay up avoid those hits Cam slid once this game it was like why did he just slide like he never slides everyone was surprised by that Mm -hmm. and now you're seeing some of those opportunities and moments would help if he did it a little bit more because as much as I love that Cam is so aggressive and attacks and makes those plays and just gives you that physicality that you love a throwback quarterback in terms of running the ball in some ways because willing to run you over and that's something you don't see from a lot of quarterbacks today did feel like it cost Utah this one in the injury department so very unfortunate for the Utes that he wasn't able to finish the game and look I already said I think Penn State still would have won this game Utah absolutely could have had a chance to win this game if Cam was in there this is a team that's made in improbable plays and probable comebacks so Utah definitely could have had a chance to win it if Cam went the distance we'll never know either way it was a strong performance by Penn State and we're going to talk about the quarterback in Sean Clifford who got that done for the Nittany Lions in a moment but first want to talk to you guys about our friends at BetOnline BetOnline.net is your number one source for for sports betting info, stats, news, analysis all seasons long. And get the you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to the two college football games we have remaining in the FCS championship and, of course, the yeah. national championship. You get NBA, college basketball, all the action. NHL, too, is there on betonline.net. You kids can find sports podcasts on Bet Online. You can find those everywhere at Bet Online. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. Zach, we talked a lot about the quarterback matchup heading into this one, and we talked about it. Cam really made the plays with his legs in in the game on on Monday and Sean was the one who it just seemed to make those timely throws when it mattered most a couple of those downs. Um, I was a little surprised a little bit to look at the third down conversions at the end of the game and see Utah actually had more just in the heat of the moment. I felt like on those, I think the biggest thing I shouldn't even say third downs, just the ability to sustain drives. It felt like, Sean Clifford was the one who was making those late throws in kind of the red zone area or just at midfield to sustain those drives on those third downs. Penn State was seven for 13. Sean Clifford, the offensive MVP of this game, as the quarterback is often rewarded. 16 for 22, 279 yards, two touchdowns, dropped some big time dimes. And look, we've seen moments they had the long touchdown pass. It was a great job by the receiver beating them deep um, on that one. But you got to give a to him for being able to stand in there and make that play. But what did you think of Clifford yesterday? Because I thought he was magnificent. Yeah, Sean Clifford did everything right. Um, he there were there were some points in time, and this is where protection protection broke down. But uh, Cam Rising was good at this again, escaping the pocket. Sean Clifford seemed a, a little bit slower uh, going through his reads and then sensing that breakdown in protection, which is fine. You know, it didn't lead to any turnovers like it had in the past. And and I think that's you've seen. It's been six years, but 
I think Sean Clifford actually grew up and matured a little more in the past six games um, because in the past you would see him. Uh, he would turn the ball over. He would throw that costly interception or get hit from behind. And then the football would be on the ground. Even if uh, Penn state would come back up with it, it's like, Oh man, you know, it just, that kind of shakes the confidence. So the fact that Sean Clifford was able to get hit and get back up, um, he was not afraid to run the football, whether it was by design or if it was, I'm going to call my own number here. Uh, if it's an RPO type of situation. So all around a good game. Now I'm going to say this, and this didn't sit right when I said it on the radio show the other day. Uh, I think that Nicholas Singleton had the best uh, overall performance. I think this has to do with the fact that we like to romanticize football. Very true. And and, and it, it was a storybook finish. Like, come on, you know, Sean Clifford get, gets all of the gets all of the hate. And I'm not here to criticize Sean Clifford. I've uh, tried to defend him. I, I've tried to uh, to be fair, right? Because he owns, I, I think, every single record when it comes to quarterback. Yeah. He's now the all time. He, he's now the all-time wins leader in Penn State. Uh, did he have a few more games to do it? Yeah, but people think, well, he had four full seasons. Uh, yes, but he also had just a few more games than Trace McSorley. Remember, that fourth full season that people are thinking of, uh, the eight games for the COVID season in 2020. So Sean Clifford didn't get 13 games every single season and then beat Trace McSorley with a dozen more opportunities. He only had a couple more games under his belt. So um, I, I like what Sean Clifford put up with because I, I think in the past, and this is just my opinion, um, the criticism probably got to him at points in time. You know, it, it does get a little overwhelming. We're in that social media age and, and it's not like where you had to fight your way or write an edit, write a letter to the editor to get your word out there. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a voice and everyone can have it amplified at any given moment for good or for, for bad. So I, I think that in his final year said, you know what? I have nothing to lose at this point because I think there's just a section of the fan base that is not going to like me. So, and I think that's where it, where it kind of clicked in this moment for the Rose bowl. Sean Clifford had so much to gain from this game, but he also said to himself, I'm just going to let it all out there. I'm going to let this game ride and, you know, let's uh, let the performance because that's probably the calmest I've actually seen him play. So with, with everything leading up to that moment, it, it's kind of crazy to me how the final game, this is it. You know, if you mess this up, if you fumble it, uh, you know, you're going to be picked on for your lasting legacy. And instead, Sean Clifford checked every single box in that game. So uh, from a storybook point, yeah, he deserves the MVP. But Nicholas Singleton, I mean, seven carries, 120 yards, two touchdowns, that, that big 87-yard touchdown run. Um, offensive line just opened up a gap and he just bursted through it. Um, and very reminiscent of Saquon Barkley and Kajana Carter, uh, oddly enough. So, uh, if you're asking who the real offensive MVP was, it's Nicholas Singleton, but in terms of, you know, what's, what's kind of the coolest ending, it is Sean Clifford, but he definitely was a close second in my book. There's obviously Keandre Lambert Smith had a good game, but Sean Clifford mm -hmm. gets him the football. Yeah, you mentioned Singleton. I mean, it really did. I, I totally agree with you, too. I mean, you just mentioned how many yards, too. And yes, he had 88 on that one run, but there were still a bunch of other yards and a bunch of other plays he made in that game where it did just feel like they're going to give it to the quarterback. You have to do so much. It's like the NFL MVP. You have to do so much to be able to overcome basically the quarterback bias in this one. And the way you're talking about 
about Sean is very similar to how I talked about Cam rising in the Pac-12 championship game, where I'm like, Cam was very good. He was a catalyst in the performance, and maybe if I had to narrow it down to one player on offense, but just felt like it was such a strong performance by the team. Um, we were talking off air a little bit before about how Penn State, even without Vashano, did a fantastic job up front along that offensive line of protecting Sean Clifford. And yes, the Utah defensive line is an outstanding, but those blitzes and pressures they brought in really gave USC a lot of fits, and I thought that's something that Penn State did a really good job picking up in this one. And that was something where I did think if a Shauna wasn't going to play. I thought that was something Utah would be able to have a couple opportunities on. And I do give a lot of credit to Sean too, for making a couple plays. There was one Connor O'Toole broke through on the interior. He just stepped mm -hmm. out of the way, made a miss in the pocket. I, I thought the offensive line did a very strong job. And we mentioned some of those big plays too. Obviously those were broken by the run blocking on those ones. So I was thought that it was an outstanding performance by the Penn state offensive line, even though they were facing a Utah defensive line that struggled, but a Utah defensive coordinator in Morgan Scally, who's been able to create pressure later in the season. I mean, that was the worst we've seen this Utah defense look on those big plays since early on this year. So I give a lot of credit to Penn state's coaching staff and their players how they executed well a couple things there jt the 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 singleton run itself for 80 plus yards was uh crazy when we figured it out um james franklin admitted this in the in his postgame press conference at the rose bowl and and some of the people that i did the show with they were like i think that was by design and then james franklin said we did a fake check to the sideline where you know you do it the the announcers will say he did a check with me so they'll they'll fake the snap see what Utah is kind of giving or any defense in that case. And Utah, a lot of time, Penn State did this too. You would tip a coverage, you would tip a blitz, and then you'd have to check out of it because it's like, ah, crap, we just showed our hand. Um, so Penn State did a fake check to the sideline and then did a quick snap. So there's the scheme involved. And then you bring up the offensive line. Yeah, the offensive line did well. Drew Shelton, who's that freshman, uh, true freshman left tackle, uh, he did a good job, again, holding his own and showing that he's much more mature than just the true freshman that he is. But the tight ends, you know, it's not just the five offensive yep. linemen. It's the fact that you can rotate any of those three tight ends and Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, and you get the similar levels of plays. Each one of them is better at certain skills uh, individually, but you are always going to get a baseline. And Theo Johnson's the one that made the clear out block in the pancake. That was the last really defender that could have gotten a singleton in the middle there before he broke away. Um, Sean Clifford was, yeah, the offensive line handled the blitzes. They picked up the stunts fairly well. I think there were times where Utah saw that. But I also think that they missed Clark Phillips the third. Uh, Keandre yes. Lambert-Smith and Mitchell Tinsley had themselves games, but throughout the end of the season, whether it was Michigan State, or it was uh, whether it was Indiana. Uh, and I know KLS, Keandre Lambert-Smith, was a little banged up, but um, those guys had problems getting open. So I, I heard a lot of good things about bowl game practice about Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, as far as the pre uh, preparation he put in and, and the hard work, and it paid off. It showed. Um, but he and Tinsley did struggle at times, especially after Parker Washington was ruled out for the season. Uh, they didn't perform all that well towards the end of the regular season and then kind of had their way against Utah. I imagine if Clark Phillips III is in there, that it's not as uh, easy sledding for them. Utah's five best players, I would say, coming into this season were Clark Phillips, Tavion Thomas, and look, yep. Tavion obviously was a shell of himself, so that one didn't. Quentin Jackson made an incredible run in this game where, my gosh, yep. he gets you excited about the future, but 
Clark Phillips, Tavion Thomas, Brant Keithy, Dalton Kincaid, Cam Rising. For the majority of the second half, Utah was without those guys. And that's where it felt like it was too much to overcome. And it felt like Utah really missed their opt-outs in this one. That being Dalton Kincaid, who couldn't play, even though he said he would have, if not for the injury, Clark Phillips especially. We knew how good that Penn State secondary was without Joey Porter Jr., even even though he's been fantastic all season long. And we thought the Utah secondary would do a good job without Clark Phillips because they've made some plays. But the only game they played without Clark all season long was Colorado. Colorado, and no offense to the buffs. I mean, they got some excitement going there now, but obviously Penn State, Sean Clifford, that's a whole yeah. different animal when you talk about what they present now. And I think there's so many things you can just do around Clark Phillips, knowing he's going to shut down half the field that Utah obviously yeah. really missed in this game. And then offensively, too, you mentioned the Yasmin drops. A couple of those were really big. And in general, just Cam having a guy where Dalton, I think Dalton's a guy, too, where even if he's covered, you know you can throw it to him and he's going to fight and win yeah. the ball because that was something that the Utah receivers were really struggling to create that separation on the outside. And even when Bryson Barnes's first throw was a really good throw to Money Parks on the quick little comeback route, and Money Parks just dropped it. Those are plays and opportunities you just can't afford to make those mistakes. How impressed were you with the opt out with the performance by Penn State despite those opt outs? Yeah, uh, overall, I mean, Penn State handled the opt outs pretty well because you kind of everybody knew. Uh, I think from day one, you know, when you're spectating this team, you knew that Joey Porter Jr. had first round pick potential and that he was going to opt out. Uh, Parker Washington, they had time to prepare for that. Um, and it showed itself, you know, they, yes. they they were kind of in the beginning stages of formulating a game plan without him. And I think that extra month of bull practice, those two live games that they had at the end of the season, uh, Michigan State, uh, especially at the end that allowed them to experiment with some things rather than just say, okay, we're going to try it against Utah and see if it works. Now you had that in addition to 30 days of preparation to put it in to see, okay, who's going to step up and practice. Uh, and that was uh, Trey Wallace played a lot of snaps in that game. And they actually went back to more. I was surprised. I thought they were going to go a lot of two tight end, three tight end, 12 and 13 personnel. They actually went three receiver a fair amount of the time. They pretty even. You saw both. You saw that dime wishbone package where the two tight ends were to the back of Sean Clifford with a running back back there. Um, but they actually went their traditional trips, wide receivers with a guy in the slot, which would have been Mitchell Tinsley. And then you had uh, Keandre Lambert Smith and then Trey Wallace line up on the outside. So I think I was very impressed with the guys that stepped in for the guys who were missing, not necessarily opting out uh, because you still had injured players like Olu Fashionu and Drew Shelton coming in against a better Utah defense rather than blocking Indiana's backup defensive end, right? Um, and uh, or whoever else, uh, Maryland. Uh, those those guys are, are definitely inferior to what Penn State was going to face anytime against Utah. So uh, I I like the game a lot, obviously, because it ended up with a, a Rose Bowl victory. Uh, but I, I am disappointed in the fact that we just we will never know. And, and yeah. you know, Penn State's not going to see Utah uh, in the future. And they're not coming over with the uh, UCLA and USC uh, in, in the Big Ten merger and the Big Ten expansion. Uh, so and there's no more traditional Rose Bowl. So uh, unless mm -hmm. Penn State's going to schedule Utah out of conference, uh, we'll never get to know, especially with this group. I'm, I'm just saying it, it kind of burns me as a college football fan that we'll never know what could have been that back and forth shootout between yep. Sean Clifford and a Cam Rising led Utah. Absolutely. The game, the momentum, everything totally could have shifted. And it is unfortunate we were robbed of that. Um, speaking of momentum, I, we've touched on them both a little bit, but I just don't think we can overstate the importance of those 80 yard touchdowns for Penn State. Both of those plays came on third downs. 
both of them, Penn State, deep in their own territory. If yeah. you're Utah, you're looking at it like we get home, we make a play here. Our offense is getting the ball back on a short field, and then boom, Penn State just flips it too. And I, I like, I was in the stadium, 70, 30, 80, 20, whatever you want to call it. It was a pro Utah crowd for sure. There's a lot more red than there was white, but as every time one of those runs broke off, you could just feel the silence squeeze over the stadium, except for I was in the north end zone, except for that one corner in the by the left by the opposite south end zone over there in the knitting lines where that part of the stadium erupting and everywhere else you could just feel that dead silence and those were big momentum plays and momentum is a real thing in football too and you just could feel the utah defense frustrated that they couldn't respond because they made so many good plays and that's what's amazing about football is just a couple guys making mistakes whether it's as you mentioned a great job by the nittany lions having that game plan going really caught utah at not just the players but the coaches off guard too as they were trying to get that other play in after the switch up and then the second one too rj hubert the utah safety claim he said the coverage bust was on him. Those are just mistakes you can't make when you give up. I believe what they said was the longest touchdown ever in the Rose Bowl by an offense. I mean, we saw Britton Covey, and we've seen players have long kickoff returns before, but just plays that really broke this team. And it's just hard to overcome when you give up two 85-yard-plus touchdowns in a single half. Yeah, and th and that's what Penn State likes to. I mean, Mike Yursich is uh, both him and Manny Diaz. Everyone's talking more about Manny Diaz, but Mike Yursich is definitely due for a head coaching job. Uh, a lot yeah. of criticism last year because they couldn't run the football, but they didn't have the assets to do that. They didn't have the they didn't have the running backs and the offensive line. Uh, basically they were just the same offensive line from a year ago, but Olu Fashionu developed into a better prospect. You Scruggs got bigger and better. Caden Wallace got bigger and better. Sal Wormley was healthy for the first time. So that was the difference because it was the same offensive line from the year before, but now they're just better. They were like Pokemon. They evolved. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, but Mike Yursich, he, he'll kind of, he'll just kind of keep throwing stuff at the, keep throwing the dart, keep throwing the dart, keep throwing the dart. And then eventually the balloon's going to pop. And so he kept throwing those slants thinking that, Oh, Utah's going to bite on one, especially with guys that aren't as adept as a Clark Phillips, the third, and then we're going to hit them over the top. And that's exactly what happened. They went with that. They went with that uh, slant and go and Utah bit on it uh, to perfection uh, for in Penn State's case. So that's that was Mike Yersich just saying, hey, we're going to keep running this until they get used to it and they have no choice to basically try and jump it. And then they went over the top, and that's obviously what, what burned them. Zach, in a second, I want to shift to kind of a couple of the big picture takeaways as it pertains yeah. to the future of this program. But I wanted to check with you first. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss as it pertains to the game or the results that played out on the field yesterday? No, I think that, I mean, now that the offseason's here, I think this is uh, the the general Penn State fan definitely wants to hear this part because there's a lot to be excited about the future. It's not saying goodbye to Sean Clifford. It's saying hello to the the up-and-coming players that Penn State has. Well, I'm going to let you take it right from there. I think this is a really exciting team. When you talk about the youth and the freshmen and the plays they make in this game, uh, Jair Brown, the plays, some of the plays he made in this one, Abdul Carter, we've already talked about the freshman backs and all the special things they've been able to do. Um, Five-star quarterback in the waiting, ready to step in and fill the big shoes left by Sean Clifford. It really does feel like this Penn State team is really set up for success, not just in the regular season, but in an expanded playoff. They'll have a chance to make some noise next year, Zach. 
So it was funny when we were talking uh, off air that, uh, you know, you said I had no idea that Drew Aller was as good as advertised or that, you know, that was why people had so much of a problem with Sean Clifford. And that was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had to do with the fact that Sean was there for six years, but it also had to do with the fact that it wasn't take one Roberson backing up Sean anymore. It is Drew Aller who shows that uh, in highlights, he can spin the football and we get a full dosage of him in 2023. Uh, I, I said this on the radio. Uh, I'll echo it again here. Penn State's window is, in fact, next year if they want to go after a national title. It has uh, two reasons. One, I like the way the 2023 schedule sets up. Uh, two, I like the fact that all that uh, Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen, look how good they were as true freshmen. And then they come back as sophomores. Abdul Carter, as you mentioned, uh, hopefully. Now they need key players to come back. Curtis Jacobs and Nadisa Isaac in the next two weeks here could opt for the NFL draft. They really could. Um, if they come back, that is a huge boost. The guys that they're going to get in the transfer portal still, they got Storm Duck from North Carolina. They uh, just picked up a receiver uh, from NC State. And uh, they're only getting better. They're only getting the reinforcements they need. But the schedule actually breaks fairly well for them in 2023. Jim Harbaugh might go to the NFL. Ohio State's Mm going to take a step back, even though that's a road game. Uh, 2024, well, everyone's going to be a junior. So wouldn't you say, yeah, I I think they'll be competitive. But USC and UCLA come in. And and the Big Ten schedule is going to look very different in 2024. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what you're going to get. That's why I say you have to go all in now because I think the window is as most wide open as it's going to be next year. So right now I'm going to stand here and say, I will sit in this case on the podcast, but uh, I, I will sit here and say that Penn State is a national title contender with all those factors going into it. Uh, some of the things could break differently, which will make it harder and a more uphill battle. But I, I think if everything projects the way I have it, Penn State can win the Big Ten and be a top four team in next year's playoff. We look at last year's Rose Bowl. Everyone was obviously very high on Ohio State coming into the season because of what Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I think everyone forgets, by the way, Marvin Harrison Jr. had three touchdowns in that Rose Bowl last year. No one seems yeah. to talk about that, that he kind of burst onto the scene there. Then obviously down the season. Then we know what CJ Stroud did too. And you look at all the returning players that get you excited about Penn State. I absolutely agree and think this is a team that has a real shot to not just win the Big Ten, but then make some noise in the CFP. Looking at it from Utah's perspective, I think this was a yeah. game that was a reminder of the couple of the shortcomings as Utah team still has. When you look at teams like Penn State, you talk about you talked about some of the plays just guys were able to make on the outside, those receivers. I think I look at Utah and I think Devon Vele made some nice, nice plays in this game, but it just feels like Utah, if you want to be among the best teams, you still lack an elite receiver, one of the best receivers, that guy who can create and win on the outside. And yes, you were down Dalton. You were down your elite pass catching threat and Brant Keithy may come back next year. So you might have that, but it still helps to have a dominant guy on the outside. This Utah team doesn't have that. Also, you've got to be strong in the defensive line. And I know the the defensive tackles actually played very strong late in the season for Utah, but defensive end wise, there's a region we talk so much about edge pressure. I look back on guys like Bradley and I, and how instrumental he was in Utah's 2019 season. And Gabe Reed was very good this year, but he wasn't Bradley and I, and you can tell that this team does need to find that elite pass rusher. Maybe that's Jonah Ellis in two years. I think next year he's going to come back and be a very good rusher. I believe he ended the season with over five sacks. So a very solid number, but still just, 
doesn't feel like this team is a dominant pass rusher. They obviously didn't in this one. And Van Fillinger will come back next year too. But this is yeah. why it's exciting that Utah is bringing in these top recruits because there are still holes on this team you need to fill in. There were a couple of issues in the linebacker spots for Utah too. Utah is not at the level in terms of recruiting talent. They haven't been bringing it in. In terms of what they've done in conference against the Pac-12, they've been amongst a top 10 program. But then against top 10 teams, you had a great opportunity. I mean, Utah hasn't won a bowl game. They're 0-5 in their last few bowl games now. Saw what happened when they got matched up against Texas a few years ago. It was a great performance against Ohio State last year, but in the end, you came up short, still a loss. And then against Penn State leads a bad taste in your mouth. And the other thing I'll say, too, I don't think it was like this was some – I think a lot of Utah fans are talking about how embarrassing and all these other things are. I think people understand when you watch the game that, hey, their starting quarterback got hurt, and I don't think there's that much shame giving up 35 points to a good Penn State team. Now, the way it happened with two 80-yard-plus touchdowns, yes, that is the bad look where it's like – that sucks, but it's also not like, man, Utah, what frauds. They're a terrible team, all yeah. this. Now, I feel confident saying this Utah team is one of the 15 best teams in college football. They just weren't one of the 10 best on the season. You can look at and see the shortcomings they had. The Florida game, the UCLA game, the Oregon game, of course. They had outstanding performances against USC, and they took care of business against a lot of their other opponents opponents on the season. But against Penn State, it just came up short. This is a team that, look, we'll see how, what Cam's injury is. We still don't know. I said on yesterday's show, I do think Cam is going to come back. I think a lot of the key contributors come back. The Pac-12 is even tougher next year. Bo Nix is back. Michael Penix is back. Look at guys like DJ Uyunglele coming over and joining Oregon State. In a lot of ways, I know he's not the greatest quarterback, but when you saw the quarterback play, the Beavers had this pass. I think it's going to be tough for Utah to go on and win the conference another year in a row. They'll definitely have the horses and the chance to do so again, but it's going to be challenging. And I still feel like this Utah spot, Utah team is in position to be a top 15 program year in and year out, but I'm not sitting up here going, Oh, they're definitely going to be back in this game. Top. They're going to be one of the 12 best teams because it is just tough when you lose a couple of those key players like the Clark Phillips. Those guys are hard to come by and find. We think Brant Keith is coming back until we know for sure. We can't say. So it's no doubt that I think when you look at next season, it's not just because they just beat them, but Penn State is going to be ranked higher than Utah in the preseason rankings. They deserve to be ranked higher because of all that young and upcoming talent they have coming back. This Utah football program coming off back-to-back conference championships, back-to-back Rose Bowl bursts, but of course two losses too, is still in a very good position. And I think Utah fans should still be excited about that next season and what could they will bring because once again, this is a team that will have a chance to make it to their first ever college football playoff because of the expansion. They'll have a chance to three-peat but it gets even tougher because of those improvements from these other teams. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it all shakes out, Zach. JT, I want to ask a couple more things before we okay. break off here, uh, just because I'm interested uh, with USC and UCLA going away. Yeah. Um, uh, before I ask you about the Pac-12, uh, I guess, uh, how do I want to say it? Dissension <laughs> instead of expansion. <laughs> um, con- con- convulsion, I don't know what to call it here, but uh they're they they're going to stick around for a little longer. But uh, what what does an ideal offseason look for Utah? And obviously, yeah, get Brant Keithy back, um, Cam Rising to to commit because I heard that you know oh he might not come back. He's up in the air. He's going to make a decision. So uh, is it get that outside target? Is it get that defensive lineman? I guess what is the most ideal uh, get? Would you say in the offseason out of the transfer portal? What's tough is it does feel like the portal's already starting to dry up. And Utah, look, they're losing Mahmoud Diabate. They already got another linebacker to replace him. I think you look to, you lose Clark Phillips, you have a sec corner coming over from Ole Miss who's going to step in and replace him. So you have a couple replacements. But I, there's two big things for this Utah team. Number one is that weapon on the outside. 
let's say Devon does come back still, it really feels like you need another guy on the outside, another true receiver that can really make those plays and get open. I really like Money Parks as the third receiver on the outside, but I wanted an elite number two. And I don't know if that guy's on the roster right now for Utah. Maybe some of the young guys can step up, but it'd be nice to find an established veteran in that regard. And the other thing for Utah that's going to be very interesting is we know how important it is to protect the quarterback's blind side. Braden Daniels has been outstanding for Utah at the left tackle spot yeah. all season long. And he's going to the next and he's going to the NFL. He's going to leave. He's already declared, I believe he's going to the senior ball, all that's so a four-year starter. So that's going to be a big thing too, is you're going to have someone who, and this was Braden's first year at left tackle, but he was outstanding at right tackle last year. And I know Satawa Laumea made, he, this is his first year on the outside was originally a guard, but he made first team all conference. I, I think Satawa is very good. I think the first team was a little bit of a reach if I'm being honest for him. And I don't think he's ready to step over on the left side in his first year playing tackle in general. I just think that's a lot of pressure. So it's going to be interesting to see how Utah manages that. And I'll flip it for you, Zach, too. What things does do you want to see Penn State at? Or do you feel good about it in the position? Because all we've been talking about is this young talent. Uh, they've done, I don't really need to expand because I did have it in that, you know, in the long answer, as far as what the future holds, they got storm duck. They, they want uh -huh. co-starters at cornerback, basically anybody that can plug and play. They want that depth. Uh, they have that at running back. Uh, they, they're looking for defensive line help. So like depth, uh, if they get a defensive tackle or a defensive end out of the transfer portal, that's ideal. Maybe another class of 2023 commit because they still have the later signing period going on in February. So uh, if Penn State can do that, maybe uh, bolster the high school class just a little bit more, get, I'd say, a defensive lineman because that's what they say they need. I don't think they need it, but if they say it, then go for it. Uh, and, and definitely another wide receiver, uh, I, at this point in time, you know, we're going to have this up on January 4th, <laughs> Wednesday here, uh, yep. Dante Cephas still hasn't committed. If they can get him, uh, then that would fulfill the need at wide receiver. Cause Drew Aller is going to need some targets, uh, for his first year starting full-time. Yeah. I think when you talk about that, I think it makes a lot of sense for Penn state, Zach, and look, it's going to be very interesting to see the direction these two programs go in going forward. It was a lot of fun. This Rose bowl matchup, breaking it yeah. down with you. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it plays out for these two teams going forward. Thank you everyone for making locked on Utes and locked on Nittany lions. Your first listen every single day. Also, if you're in the market for a second, listen every day, make sure you guys check out locked on sports today, the biggest stories in sports, the biggest game recaps, all available on locked on sports today zach this was a lot of fun and like you said look maybe the only time we'd ever do this again is if these two teams met in the future college football playoff but for now penn state got penn state gets the last laugh in this one yeah and, and before i forget you know is the pack 12 or the pack 10 or the pack 8 whatever it's going to be called is that utah's to run or, and, and colorado or because of Deion sanders uh with usc and ucla moving on i, I want to know your thoughts about that jt yeah, I do feel like that. Like I said, I think Utah is among the four best teams in the conference. Deion Sanders, I don't think they're going to be able to do it in their first year. I know there's a lot of Heisman buzz around his son stepping in over there at quarterback. I'm not feeling that quite yet. I think, look, it's going to be very hard to beat USC next year just when you think about Caleb Williams. But they, I mean, this is a team that has come up with show before, so they have some flaws. I, I don't think Utah is going to be the highest ranked team going into next season. I think it will be USC. I think Washington's going to have a very strong claim to that too, with their performance in the bowl game. Utah has to play Washington next season. That's one of the things where they ducked Washington. They didn't have to play Washington this year. That would have been a very difficult game for them to play. I think Utah is right up there for the conference, but it's going to be tight to see what they can do. And it's going to be interesting to see how USC and UCLA go out before they go over and join the big 10, because that is going to be one crazy show over there, Zach. 
Yeah, definitely good to know. I kind of see how that perspective, because there's a lot of good teams out there still. Washington, Oregon, Oregon State stepped up this year. Uh, so it's not just going to be a horse race between Utah and Colorado to the top. So good to see that there's still going to be some exciting football out in the West Coast. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see how it all plays out. Thank you guys again for making Locked On Utes and Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen every single day. Have a great day.